0: So when I look at the days of the week, Sunday all the way through Saturday, uh, a lot of different things happen throughout the week. Friday is probably right now in this season of my life, one of my most favorite days of the week. You probably love Fridays, maybe a little bit of a different reason than I love Fridays though. So I take Fridays off, and my two older sons, Connor and Cole, they're at school on that day. Uh, Becky's off on Fridays, but she's usually getting a lot of her errands done, getting ready for the job she has at her preschool. And so that means me and my daughter, Collins, she's still in preschool. She only goes Monday through Thursday. That means Fridays are Daddy and Collins days. And we have so much fun. Like, that's like our date day, and we do all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, This last Friday, we did a picnic in the backyard. We went for walks, and she went to Home Depot. We go do errands. We get stuff done. We just have a great time being together. Now, Collins, it seems like takes after me more than Becky, because she will just talk nonstop. Stop. All day. I remember one of our first daddy days. I'm like, Becky, she didn't stop talking the entire day. She's like, and that's my life. Whether she was talking about Collins or me, I'm not 100% sure still. Both would probably be accurate. But she does. She just talks. If you're in the same room with her, she'll just talk, talk, talk. And so during our picnic, we make sure to just kind of have that proximity because she'll share all kinds of great stuff. I don't have to ask any questions. She just shares a bunch. So we're sitting on the picnic, uh, on, on the ground on this picnic blanket on Friday having lunch. And she just says, Dad, I have new favorite colors. And I'm like, tell me your new favorite colors. And then she said, I used to only love purple and pink, but now I have two more favorite colors, orange and red. And I'm like, that's fantastic, Collins. I never would have known that about you. So are you still enjoying pink and purple? She's like, oh, of course. I wouldn't get rid of them. I love that that was her response, like you get rid of a color. So I know I wouldn't get rid of them, but I'm adding orange and red to my favorite colors. I'm like, so all four of those are now your favorite. She's like, yes. I'm like, that's awesome. I love learning things about her, and here's why I bring that up, because if it wasn't for that space, that proximity, and that intentional time, I never, ever, ever would have thought to say, Collins, just out of curiosity, have you changed your favorite colors recently? There's no way I would have asked that, and there probably would not have been another environment where she would have just shared that with me. So that Friday space for me has become very, very helpful in getting to know my daughter just a little bit better, getting to know her just a little bit more, which strengthens our relationship as father and daughter. For the next month, I hope that's what happens in your relationship with Jesus, that as we study and open up God's word, that you will know him just a little bit better. You might know of him, you might have a relationship with him but do you know his new favorite colors? Do you know what he wants in your life? Do you know what what he's speaking to you about in this season of your life? Oftentimes we look at our relationship with Jesus as being very stagnant and inactive. I know Jesus, I believe in Jesus, he saved me from my sins, done, end of story. And I want you to know there's so much more in a meaningful relationship with Jesus. There's an active relationship he desires with us where we have the opportunity to get to know him more through his word. So this next series is designed to do just that, to create a space and environment where you either hear or learn something new about Jesus, or maybe you're just reminded of something that has gotten lost over the years for you in your faith and your relationship with him. John chapter 20 we're told this. John, uh, just so you understand how books of the Bible are written, John, we call it the book of John or the gospel of John, was written by John. John who saw and witnessed Jesus do all the things that we read about throughout the gospel of John. His book, his as an eyewitness, here's what I saw and heard from Jesus. So he kind of sums up some things. In John chapter 20, John writes this in verse 30. He said, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. He's like, so I wrote down some of them, but there's a lot more that happened, excuse me, than just what's in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have, and what's that word? Life that you would continue to believe. And as you continue to believe, you will have life by the power of his name, Jesus. So to help with that, again, space and environment to know Jesus just a little bit more, we're actually just gonna go through and look at different stories of Jesus throughout the book of John or the gospel of John. And it's not just, here's what Brian's gonna talk about on Sunday and I hope and pray that it's impactful and helpful in your relationship with God. I want you to be studying John throughout the week on your own. So here's what we're going to do. Let me put this up on the screen. Would love to have you join me in this. For the next month, like I said, we're going to be studying through the book of John. But I would love for you to do that on your own. So each day, read a chapter out of John. So you start tomorrow. We'll all start tomorrow as, as local church together. Tomorrow, Monday, we will read the first chapter of John. So everybody's going to read John one. Great job. Then on Tuesday, we're all going to read John 2. You're so smart. You got it. You nailed it. That's perfect. And so if you'll text in John to 678-944-8690, that will opt you into a group text with me. And I will, I will not blow your phones up all day, every day, I promise. But I'll text out one or two text messages a week, just highlighting, hey, here's what I'm reading. Hey, don't forget, here's what we're reading today. Here's where we're at in our reading plan. Here's a question I'd love for you to ask as you read today's chapter. Here's a prayer that I'd encourage you to pray as you go through your day today. Just allows us to not just talk about it on Sunday, but to be in his word, learning and growing more and more about him daily. But we get to do that together as a church family. So if you'll join me, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Like I said, we'll be in the book of John for the next month, but we'll do that as we walk through it each and every day. Also, based on what John said in chapter 20 here, he said, when you believe in Jesus, you're given, what was the word again? Life. life, yes. And so you'll notice out in the lobby, we've got the baptistry ready. Every single Sunday between now and the end of May, we will have the baptistry available. Because when you believe in Jesus, one of those very next steps is going public with your faith through baptism. Baptism is what symbolizes our new life. We come out of that water representative of a new life or a born again Christian. So maybe that's gonna be your next step. Maybe today, maybe not today, but we will be ready for you. We got shirts, we got shorts, we've got everything ready for you when you're ready to believe and to make that next step going public uh, with your faith through baptism. So, hey, let's pray before we dive in and I'm gonna have you pray a little bit differently. Instead of me just praying over us this morning, I'm gonna give you a couple things to specifically pray about. So close your eyes with me and would you in your heart In your personal relationship with Jesus, would you first thank Jesus that you have a relationship with him? Then would you thank him for the opportunity to be together today to study his word? Would you ask him to show you something new or remind you of something you have forgotten today? Would you ask him that what we study today would go beyond just Sunday, but it would impact your life? Jesus, thank you so much for what we get to study and read and open together. Your word is alive. It is active. So would you convict us of the things that need to be convicting? Would you challenge us in the areas that we've become complacent? Would you encourage us in the areas that we are discouraged? Speak to us, each and every one of us today, in your name. Amen. So I'm going to ask a question I'm almost positive I know the answer to. So far today, it is 1127. So far today, from the moment you woke up till now, have your expectations been met perfectly for what you've expected today to be like so far? So let's start at the very beginning. Did you wake up when you expected to wake up? Or maybe did you notice that the people that were supposed to wake up at the same time did not wake up? So maybe there was some misses there. Did everybody in your family wake up when you expected them to? Did everybody greet each other with a warm, I love you, as you might expect this morning? Did you all as a family go down to the table and have breakfast, a wonderful breakfast where everybody was thankful and full of gratitude, as you might expect? Did all of your kids, if you have kids, did all of your kids wake up excited to be alive and part of your family? And did they wear the clothes you expected them to wear today? Probably, that might not be an expectation. That just might be a hope and a dream that you're not willing to let go of yet. Maybe that's an expectation. Did everybody get in the car when you expected them to get in the car or were you split? Were half of you in the car and half of you still in the house and those of you in the car like, come on, come on, come on. Did you get to church when you expected to get to church today? And when you arrived, was the coffee what you were expecting it to be? the right temperature, the right flavor, were every door greeter as smiling and happy as you expected them to be? Were the songs exactly what you expected them to be? Probably not. (laughs) There's probably a few of those who are like, no, like it went well. But for most of us, our expectations have not been met and it's not even halfway through the day. Somewhere in there, we had an expectation that was here and the reality came in somewhere around here. Now, notice what happens if you can think of an expectation you had that was not met, wasn't at the standard or not the time that you wanted it or expected it to be met at. The gap between expectations and reality causes something in us, doesn't it? Frustrations come out of that. Disappointments come out of that. Being annoyed comes out of that. All of a sudden, there's an emotional reaction to when we have expectations that are not met. The story we're going to see today, John chapter 11, if you have a Bible, be there. We're going to see what happens when people have an expectation of Jesus, and Jesus fails to meet their expectations. In our relationship with him, what happens when we have an expectation of Jesus, and he does not meet our expectations? He doesn't meet it within the right time frame, and he doesn't meet it the way that we have expected him to be. He doesn't act the way we might expect him to act. So here it is, John chapter 11. Look for that expectation and the failure to meet expectations. John chapter 11. Again, if you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, stack of Bibles are out next to the coffee. Make sure you grab one. That's our gift to you. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1 a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, quote, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. Verse five, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, He stayed where he was for the next two days. So we know that Jesus was very close to this family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. As you're reading through, if you're doing the Bible reading through John, you'll see multiple stories of Jesus interacting with this family. But notice when they sent the message to Jesus, they didn't even say Lazarus' name. See, we're not talking about Jesus and a stranger or Jesus and an acquaintance. This is Jesus and his dear friend. So when they wrote a message, Lord, your dear friend is sick, the expectation was that, Jesus, you know exactly who this person is. You know exactly what he means to you. And, Jesus, we've seen you heal strangers. We most certainly expect you to heal your dear friend. So Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus who was sick, send this message expecting Jesus to drop everything that he was doing and say, oh my goodness, I didn't know. I'll be right there. Like that was the expectation for Jesus to say, I'm on my way. Don't worry, I'll be right there. Instead, Jesus says, I'm gonna stay put for two more days. That's not what they expected. In fact, Jesus gives a rationale and a reason behind him staying. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. This is verse 4. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Do you think his disciples understood what I just said there? (laughs) No. No, when when we say that phrase out of verse 4, it's very confusing. I don't think the disciples and I don't think Mary and Martha would have understood what Jesus was getting at. I could just imagine the messengers handing Jesus the note. You've got to go right now, We're expecting him to come with them. And Jesus says this line out of verse four: "No, it's happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from it." And I picture the messengers saying, "So you're coming? Like, are we go? Like, are you going or not? Like, I don't have no idea what you just said. It's very confusing." Basically, what Jesus was getting at, his my version of this would say, "You're expecting me to go." But I have something better planned. That's what he's getting at. Pastor Craig Rochelle said it better than I could ever say it. He said this if God always met your expectations, he would never have the opportunity to exceed your expectations. Man, that's true, isn't it? Sometimes, remember, there's a gap between our expectations not being met. And what really happens, and sometimes we get frustrated, disappointed, and annoyed with God because he's not meeting our expectations. And I would imagine that Mary and Martha are feeling the same thing because Jesus is not meeting their expectations. But if Jesus just met our expectations, oh, he would never have the opportunity to exceed them, which is what we're going to see later on in this story. So here's what happens next. Look at look at verse 17 with me. We're gonna skip ahead just a little bit. The two days have passed where Jesus stayed put. He was in no rush and no hurry to get to see Lazarus, Lazarus and their family. Verse 17, he finally shows up. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, She went to meet him. Can we pause there for a second? Can we just imagine what's probably coming next if you don't know this story? Jesus didn't show up when she expected him to. Jesus didn't heal her brother like she expected him to. So far, nothing has gone the way that she expected or she had wanted. So now finally, after Jesus took his sweet old time several days later, he finally shows up and Martha doesn't even give Jesus a chance to get to the house She finds out that he's in town and she goes out to meet him when there is a gap between our expectations and our realities. We feel the need to tell people about that gap, don't we? (laughs) You have failed to meet my expectations. Notice what she then says. She goes out to meet him and tell him exactly what she thinks. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha, here it is, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only, will you say those two words with me? If only, if only. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. Those two words that you said with me, if only, they have to be the two saddest words that you could put together. If only. If only you had showed up. If only you had actually helped. If only... You had done what I told you to do. If only you had, if only, it's that sentiment of things could have been different, but it's your fault. Mary, M- Martha and Mary, the sisters, they don't say these words, but basically they're telling Jesus, if you had done what we said, my brother would still be alive. Jesus, if you had done what we told you to do, what we expected you to do, life would be very different if only. That phrase, Lord, if only you had been here, if you keep reading, you'll notice that the other sister, Mary, she does the exact same thing. She runs out after Jesus, and she tells Jesus the exact same thing. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not be dead. Let me talk to those of you that that describes or defines your life in this season. That those two words, if only, when that When I say that, if that feels like that's where I'm at, I feel like I'm always saying those words, if only, and it's not working out, if only. If you find yourself in a season where if only describes and defines your life, let me give you some wisdom based on what we see Martha and Mary both do. I said it earlier, kind of teasing, but it's great. I think it's a great lesson. Where do Martha and Mary go in their frustration and in their sorrow and in their disappointment? Who do they run to? Jesus is always a safe answer on Sundays here, just FYI. Where do they run to? To Jesus. They run with with that if only baggage, with the sorrow, with the grief, with the frustration, with the disappointment. They run with all of that to Jesus and lay it on him. What a great lesson. If you're in that season of if only, nothing is working out, and you're finding that life is not going the way you expected it to go, can I encourage you to do exactly what Martha and Mary both did? Run to Jesus with your if onlys. Run to Jesus with your disappointments and your frustrations and your sorrows. He can handle it. He most certainly can handle it. He desires that from you. So if that's you, if you relate to that, run to Jesus. So Jesus has a conversation with Martha. I love that he doesn't even really respond to the if only. He just engages in a helpful conversation with her. Verse 23, Jesus told her, well, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You have to say it like that because she's basically responding to Jesus like, yes, 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 I know you're God in, in human form. And yes, we will all be in heaven together, but that doesn't solve my problem today. Yes, I know that in the end it will all work out, but that doesn't help me now. That's what she's getting at. So yes, Jesus, I know. Verse 25, Jesus told her, well, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he ends with a great question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Now, notice what's happening here. Starting out, Martha is solely focused on the if only. She's only focused on the problem. She's only focused on Lazarus' death. Then Jesus, in this conversation, begins to redirect her focus. He totally shifts her focus. Right? It's no longer on Lazarus, and it's no longer on the problem. Notice all of the me statements from Jesus. I am... The resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me, believes in me, will never die. The focus is all on Jesus. So he's looking at Martha and he's like, I hear you, but focus on me. I understand your frustration. I understand your grief. I understand your loss, but focus on me. I love that Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give life, or I'm going to do a resurrection. No, he says, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Not just one that can give life, not one that can just do miracles. He's like, no, I am. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. So if you find yourself again in a season of life where you just are feeling like nothing is going the way you want, Your expectations are not being met, not even close. And that emotion that you're feeling is a constant state of frustration and anger and disappointment. If that's you, run to Jesus and then put your focus on Jesus. Not just the problems, but redirecting our focus on him and in him and with him. So to the question that Jesus left her with, do you actually believe this? Do you believe who I say that I am? Verse 27, Martha answers, well, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Remember that statement she just made because that proves her belief. Do you believe this? And it's super clear, without a doubt. Yes, I believe you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. You are exactly who you say you are. So Martha says, yes, I believe. We need to remember that because Jesus is gonna put that belief to the test. Look with me at verse 39. Verse 39, he's now in front of the tomb where Lazarus has been buried, where he's been for the last several days. And Jesus is now giving some instructions. Verse 39, look what he does. Roll the stone aside. Jesus told them. Roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, who just a moment ago just proclaimed, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are exactly who you say you are. That Martha protested, well, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Now, sometimes I preach out of uh, the New Living Translation. And and if you've been around me long enough, it's helpful, it's great. And I try my best to dig into not just the translation, but what the original language is. And then there's other translations I'm sure you're familiar with, whether it's an NIV. Maybe you grew up with King James Version. I think this is one of those scenarios where the King James Version is actually more accurate. So um, let me read to you this section out of the King James. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) For he hath been dead four days. He stinketh, Jesus. Why would we roll the stone away? He stinketh. This is not right, Jesus. Come on, use your head. Jesus, use common sense. Why would we want to roll the stone away? Because it's going to be atrocious, it's going to smell. See, Martha wanted life brought back to her brother, but she did not want to deal with the stink. She didn't want to deal with the smell. And Jesus said, if you want life, you got to roll the stone aside. Remember what Martha just said? I said it earlier. She just professed and proclaimed who Jesus is. And right on the heels of that, The first thing that he really asked, that Jesus really asked Martha to do, to roll the stone away, she all of a sudden started protesting. Man, that's what we do, isn't it? We proclaim that Jesus is Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's our Savior. He's our Messiah. He's our Redeemer. We worship him. We serve him. We love him. But you're asking me to do what? We proclaim, but then we begin to protest when he asks us to do something that might stink, might smell a little, might get our hands a little dirty, might be outside of my comfort zone, isn't in my plan, it's not what my expectations are. And what we see is this dynamic of believing and following. Now, please hear me. Both are important, and it always starts in believing. Believing is what saves us, not the following and doing what he asks us to do. We are told it is only by faith that we are saved. When we believe in him, we are given eternal life because of his grace. Not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but because he desires to give it to those who believe. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we believe that Jesus is Messiah. We believe that he died for our sins. We believe that he came back three days later. We believe that he's coming again. We believe that his grace is enough. So yes, we need to believe. But that doesn't mean we don't follow. At some point we do have to choose, yes I believe, but am I willing to follow? We have to be willing to begin to follow, to proclaim, but to believe, oh but. Like Martha, we will always all of us will experience this. We believe, but are we also willing to do what Jesus calls us to do in following him. And that's what Jesus invites us to. Jesus invites us to believe and follow. You start with believing, start there. But yes, at some point, we'll be given the opportunity to follow him or not. And sometimes it smells and sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's not what we would have expected. But we have the choice whether we will follow him or not. Believe and follow Roll the stone aside. Now, I've never been asked to open a grave. I thank goodness I've never been asked to do that. I've never opened a grave. So I don't exactly know how smelly it would be. So I've never opened a grave, but I have opened one of these before. And this one's a clean one, just heads up. But I'll tell you, there's been many, many circumstances over, man, we've been parents for the last nine years now. And we have found so many of these cups filled with something like milk at times that then gets hidden in all kinds of different places. Parents, you know this, right? You'll be cleaning out your minivan and underneath one of the seats, you'll pull one of these out and you say, what is this? It used to be liquid. Now it's a solid. And it had been in there for who knows how long. We will find these in our van. We will find these under beds. We have found these under the sinks. We have found these things everywhere. So then Becky and I, we have to do rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to clean it. And if you want to clean it, which I will admit, there have been plenty of times where we just said, you know what, lost cause, we're going to throw this one away. Many of them just go straight in the trash. But you can't throw away all of them all the time. So I'm like, we've got to start cleaning these at some point. And here's what you have to realize. If you're going to clean it, you have to first open it don't you you have to open it and you gag and you dump it out and then you begin the process of cleaning and sanitizing and then cleaning and san- and then repeat, repeating that over and over and over again I think what Jesus is getting at very literal in the story but if I can take a little side note with you I think what he's also saying is great for us to hear today just like Jesus told Martha roll the stone away He's saying, expose what is dead, expose, roll the stone away and expose what is decaying so that I can bring life out of it. I think the same is true for us in our hearts. And I believe Jesus would look at each and every one of us and say, roll the stone away, open your heart, expose the sin, expose what's dead, expose what's decayed, and it's going to stink. And oftentimes we respond just like Martha. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna open up my heart to you because I know what's in here. I know what I've been hiding in here. I know what I've been keeping locked away and it's too gross and it's too smelly and it's too disgusting. There's no way I'm gonna open my heart up to you, Jesus. He says, roll the stone away. Expose what's dead. Expose what's decaying so that he can bring life out of you. If you want something to be cleaned, it has to be opened. If you want someone to be raised from the dead, you have to roll the stone away. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus where you know him intimately, you have to open your heart to him. Roll the stone away, the stone that's covering your heart, the things that you have hidden and held on to. He says, roll the stone away. No, 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 Jesus, I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm going to hide it. If you want to experience life, Open your heart to him. He can handle the smell, I promise you. So verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people, all of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And then the man came out. The dead man came out in his hands and feet, bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Expose what is dead and allow Jesus to bring life out of it. I can't help but just imagine what Lazarus's day was like for the rest of that day. He, He gets resurrected from the dead. Like what did he do the rest of his day? Like what was it like and how was he thinking? How was he feeling? And then what was the next day like? He wakes up, he's like, I'm still here. Like that actually happened yesterday and how he walked through the second day of living a brand new life. And then what would have been like the week after, maybe the month after, what about the years after? I can't help but believe that Lazarus's life looked very different the second time around. I have to believe that, that he lived a little bit differently after he was brought back to life that he had a perspective of life and other people that had to have been different in his new life. If nothing else, and I would say most importantly, Lazarus would have had a deeper trust of Jesus after Jesus brought him back to life. That resurrection didn't just bring him back to life, it changed his life. Here's the thing about a resurrection though, death is essential. You cannot have a resurrection without death. So let me ask you this question. What needs to die in your life so that Jesus can bring life? Maybe you need life just brought into your marriage or into your family, into your kids, into your relationships. We could go through the list of the environments that you walk through each and every day and maybe you just need life injected into you again If you want to experience life, there also needs to be a death. What needs to be exposed? What needs to die so that Jesus can bring life? A great prayer that comes straight out of scripture that I've made my own over the years. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the way of everlasting life. Jesus, what what needs to die in my life? so that you can lead me in the way of everlasting? What do I need to put to death so that you can bring life? Like Lazarus, what needs to die so that life can be given? That's why we do baptisms. That's why that baptistry is going to be sitting out there for the next month. Our baptism is that. It is a symbol of dying to ourself and to our sin. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, we are then brought out of that watery grave and given new life. Life, where we view life differently, we think of life differently, we have a different perspective on life, we treat others differently, and yes, most importantly, we have a deeper trust of Jesus, who brought us back to life. Romans chapter 6 explains that, verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. New life there was also a death. So what needs to die so that Jesus can bring life? Roll the stone aside. Open your heart to him, even if it stinketh. And allow him to pull life out of you. Whatever is dead and decaying in you, he can bring life. If you'll close your eyes with me, and I want to give you a moment to pray, similarly uh, to what we did earlier I want this to be a prayer between you and Jesus, not just me praying over you. So let me just kind of pose a few different questions that might hit home for you. First one, I said we start with belief. Do you believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is? Jesus asked Martha that question. I want to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Are you willing to follow him? When he asks you to go away that you don't want to go, to do something that is outside of your comfort zone? Are you willing to follow and believe? What are are your expectations of Jesus? The prayers that you've been praying, the hopes that you have, the plans that you've made, what are your expectations of Jesus? And can you trust him that when those expectations aren't met, it's not because he doesn't care about you, but he wants to have the opportunity to exceed them. So maybe it's just aligning some trust instead of raising your expectations. What is in you that needs to die? What dead and decaying things and sins are you holding on to? And as Jesus says, roll the stone away, open your heart to me. Would you be willing to open your heart to him? Allow him in to search you, to test you, and to point out anything in you that stinks so that he can breathe life into you and give you new life. Is baptism your next step? Baptism is not what saves us. Baptism is not what forgives us. That's only Jesus. But maybe you need to celebrate that. And the moment you come out of that water, you're given new life. Not just give a new life, but your entire life changes. Our lives changed. Our lives will change when he brings us back to life. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you do for us, all that you've done for us. I pray that we build our lives on you, not our expectations. May we give you our full trust, our full faith, but in this moment, our our full heart to be completely open and transparent with you, to roll the stone away and to let you in. Bring us back to life. Just as you you resurrected from the dead, Jesus, would you continue to breathe new life in each and every one of us that forever changes us. In Jesus' name, amen.